Revelation 13, the sea and the earth beasts. Starting at verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God, profitable for us. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his head ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. 
Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, Revelation chapter 13. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it. Notice here, verse 1 through verse 10, the blasphemous beast from the sea, his war on the saints, and his reprobate followers. This beast rises up out of the sea. And what do we know about the sea? Well, chapter 17, verse 15, we're going to find something out, that the whore has her seat on the sea. Waters are unstable. They are cruel and murky. They are violent and noisy. And that's why God refers to the Gentiles under this notion of the sea. Rising up out of the Gentiles is this beast having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his ten horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. Now, do you recall that in chapter 12, verse 3, we had the description of Rome the pagan. What is it now? Is this the same dragon that we saw? No, in fact, what we're going to find is the dragon we saw at first is going to give his power to this beast. He's going to be the heir apparent of the power of the red dragon. Now, we'll also find later that on the head of this beast, also described as a whore, is the name Mystery. That's how she considers herself. She is Mystery Babylon. What does God say is upon her head? Mystery? No. Upon her head is blasphemy, not mystery. She is like, this beast here is like unto a leopard. His feet were as the feet of a bear. His mouth as the mouth of a lion. Now in Daniel chapter 7, we find three beasts exactly like this. The first beast is the lion. This was the kingdom of the Chaldeans in Daniel chapter 7, verse 4. You remember the four beasts, the four kingdoms. You have the Chaldeans. Then you have the bear, the Medes and the Persians. Then you have the leopard, fast and cruel, the Greek empire, swift alluring others, deadly and violent. These kingdoms, these three, are followed by a fourth, which has iron teeth and stomps upon the holy city, and that is the kingdom of the Romans, the Roman Empire. That's the fourth kingdom. But here notice, this kingdom of the beast comes out of all the Gentiles, the seas. And it has features of Babylon. It has features of the Medes and the Persians. It has features of the Greek. And it has the power of the Roman Empire granted to it. And that's why it reflects each of those kingdoms. The leopard... The bear and the lion are all reflected in this lawless beast. The fourth beast with the iron teeth, that is the red dragon, stamping and railing with his ten horns is Rome the pagan. Now all the worldly beast-like heathen powers are melded together into one beast rising upon the heels of their fall, 
Now, what happened in Rome when the Roman Empire fell? Does anybody know? What started going up while the Roman Empire went down? The papacy. And that's what he's talking about. This beast reflects all the former beastly empires and the deadly wound of the head of the dragon is wounded and then comes to life again and all the world worships this beast. Now notice, what did the dragon give unto this beast? Verse 2 tells us, He gave him his power and his seat and great authority. This is the same dragon who persecuted the early church in ten waves of persecution till the man-child Constantine came and delivered them from that persecution. Pagan Rome donated its power to this beast. Now let me read you something from the canons of the papal church. This is called the donation of Constantine. This is what they say about themselves. Listen to it. This is in the Decretals of Gratian. Part 1, Division 96, chapters 13 and 14. You may read the entire forgery. Here in the, the harmony of the canon law, they say as follows. The emperor Constantine yielded his crown and all his royal prerogatives in the city of Rome and in Italy and in the western parts to the apostolic see. Do you know who that is? That's the Pope. The Pope said that we have the great power of Rome. That old red dragon, he gave us his seat. That's what the see means, by the way. When you read the Apostolic See, they're talking about a throne in Rome that the Pope sits on, ex cathedra, they say, sitting upon his throne. This is what the papists say about themselves. Constantine yielded his crown and all his royal prerogatives in the city of Rome and in Italy and in the western parts. Where is that? That's Europe. That's Britain. That's, they think, America as well. They claim universal dominion over the Western church. It goes on. The Emperor Constantine, the fourth day after his baptism, conferred this privilege on the pontiff of the Roman church that in the whole Roman world, priests should regard him as their head, as judges do the king. You see what he's saying? This forgery called the donation of Constantine is the thing by which they say of themselves, we are the successor of the red dragon. That red dragon with ten waves of persecution that sits on seven hills and has ten horns, that's us. We are the successor. We are the beast. They confess it themselves. Now they've hidden it. They have a new eschatology called preterism by which they say, no, no, no. See, all this is talking about in the days of the destruction of the temple. You know who came up with that? The Jesuits. So that people would stop saying, wait a second, who's the successor of the Roman Empire that arises when the empire goes down? Who is it that persecuted the church in ten waves? Well, that's the Roman pagans. And who took over for the Roman pagans? Well, obviously, it's very clear. It's the papacy itself. 
the Roman Empire was usurped, the fourth monarchy was usurped from the red dragon, the pagan Rome, by this donated of Constantine gift to papal Rome. Now, by the way, in line with being of the father of lies, the donation of Constantine never happened. It was a lie. It was a forgery, as we call it. Constantine never donated his Western Empire to the Pope. It didn't happen. But in order to solidify their power and the wonder that they could do over the consciences of Christians, they said, look, we've got a document. The Roman Empire is ours. We rule over all nations and kindreds and tongues. Let us then properly interpret this book of Revelation. You know, when you read the book of Daniel, you see this kingdom, then this beast, then this beast. This is Alexander. This is the Chaldeans. This is this group. This is that group. The kingdom of Alexander divided into four, and then the Romans succeed. And then you read the same kind of language in Revelation, and what do people say? Well, that can't be talking about history. No, no, no. That's not describing the history of the church. Does that make any sense? That all this kind of language everywhere else in the Bible describes the history of kingdoms and the advance of the kingdom of Christ. And now we read Revelation and God doesn't want to tell us the future of the church. Does that make any sense? No, it doesn't. It doesn't match the language of the book of Revelation either. Daniel gave them the kingdoms of the Chaldeans, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. So John says, the red dragon, that final kingdom, gives his power to someone. Who is it? The Jews tell us everything's future. The papists tell us everything's past. What does the Bible tell us? No, this is the whole history. That's what the Bible tells us. It condemns both the Jew and the papist. But this is the history of God's people beforehand. God told us what would happen before it came to pass. I saw one of his heads, verse 3 tells us, as it were wounded to death. James Durham in his commentary says, The Roman Empire having all seven sundry governments. First, the Romans had kings. Second, consuls. Third, tribunes. Four, dictators. Ten, or five is the decemviri, the five, or the, excuse me, the ten rulers. Sixth was the Caesars or emperors. And what happened after the Caesars? What's the seventh head? What is it? The empire's gone. Has the empire ever been revived? No. There is one head, and that is the papacy. This wounded head, the beast sets up his kingdom on the verge of death. Rome is going down and the popes take over. His deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. This beast who succeeded the Roman imperial dominion was marveled at by the whole Catholic world. Now it was a Roman Catholic church not a Roman imperial Catholic dominion, but an ecclesiastical dominion. I note then that the seventh head succeeded the Roman red dragon. The emperors were succeeded by a Roman revival. The world wondered at this revival of Rome. Rome be re rebuilt anew. 
And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast. Once they worshipped their emperors, whom did they worship after that? Their popes. They bowed their conscience before these men. Oh, Lord God, the Pope, is what they say in the canons. A God walking in earth, the King of kings and Lord of lords. They said that about the Pope. Who is like unto the beast? Words of flattery and adulation. You can read these, again, as I mentioned, among their canon laws. They require all Christians to subscribe and obey their canon laws. He has a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, exalting himself as if he were God, making the scriptures depend upon himself and his approval. In fact, making new books for the Bible that aren't there called the apocryphal books. The Pope says, I have the power to make those books, and I have the power to say whether it's scripture or not. And you know that the Bible's the Bible because the Pope said so. He makes scripture depend upon himself. He claims to be the vicar of Christ. Let me read you what Whitaker's Latin Dictionary says of the word vicarius, a substitute, a deputy, one acting for another, a successor. Now, let me read to you Thayer's lexicon for the word anti, as in antichristos. Listen. Indicating exchange, succession, for, instead of, in place of. Succession to the place of another. What does vicar mean? The same thing as anti. What is the vicar of Christ? He is the antichrist. The successor, the deputy, the one acting for another. And how long does his power continue? Forty and two months. The reign of sin is 42 months. How long is that? A time, times, and half a time. 1,260 days is the reign of this beast. This is the same period in which the trampling of the court of the Gentiles occurred, after the remeasurement of the church, when the worship, the doctrine, were all measured by the king's rule in chapter 11, verse 2. These are the same days as the two witnesses, chapter 11, verse 3. This is the time of the woman's exile and nourishing, chapter 12, verse 6. This is the period when the beast succeeded imperial Rome, an indefinite, long, and bounded set time. He opened his mouth, this beast did, against God to blaspheme the name of God. God has the right to rule his church, and he rules it from heaven through the inspiration of his Holy Spirit by oracles he himself has given. Do you have any guesses as to what the man of sin thinks of these oracles God has given? Do they have the right to rule my conscience as a Christian or yours as a believer? Do we as believers and Christians, do we have some highest authority who can tell us what we ought to believe? Is it not God speaking to us in his word? You know what the man of sin says? No, it's not him. It's me. 
I'll tell you what you ought to believe. I'll tell you the articles of your faith. I'll tell you which books ought to be received by you. Blasphemous words against God in heaven, exalting himself, speaking against the tabernacle, the place of God's lawful worship, and speaking against those saints that dwell in heaven, the saints of the living God, who obey the commandments of God, not the laws of the popes, who have a heavenly inheritance rather than wormwood. Remember him? He fell from heaven to the earth. So now he speaks against those in heaven who have not apostatized together with him. Now he has power, we're told in verse 7, to make war with the saints, to overcome them, to persecute and kill them, with all the devices of deceit, death, and fraud. A period of crushing the saints under his feet after the fall of imperial Rome, after the son of the church, Constantine, was born, and then the lawful power of Constantine taken by this forged donation of Constantine. Power was given unto this beast over all kindreds, Rather than submitting himself to the powers that be that God had ordained, he says, no, I want the dragon's power to myself. And a universal worship sprung up of this beast with graven images, miracles, and all. And who was it that worshipped the image of this beast? Notice there verse 8, whose names are not written in the book of life. Men, as Jude says, written before under this condemnation. Here's the book of life. Here's the book of reprobates. Their names aren't in the book of life. And so they worship the graven image. Our Lord is said to have been slain from before the foundation of the world. God decreed his death, the lamb slaying, the redemption of his people, and all the goods that come with Christ. Christ's death was not an accident. It was not a plan B. It was not fortuitous. It was God's decree. Now note, there is a day of vengeance. Verse 10. He that leadeth into captivity, that is, this beast, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. What will happen to the great city of Babylon? What will we read about in the rest of this book? She will be burned with fire. She who called fire down on others, God will bring fire upon her. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword, what will happen to him? Live by the sword, die by the sword. John Trapp comments, be of good cheer. Antichrist shall one day meet with his match, Drink as he hath brewed, be paid in his own coin, filled with his own ways. Let us beware of lawless worldly success. Them that live by the sword shall die by the sword. Those who desire worldly dominion, what shall they have? They will be crushed under the heels of Jesus Christ. Next, verses 11 through 18, we have the lamb dragon, the beast from the earth, Lying wonders and graven images. This one springs up as a seed pops forth, not from the oceans or sea, but from the earth itself. 
<clears throat> he had two horns like a lamb, as the Lamb of God has two horns. He professes himself to be meek and innocent. He has the bipartite power of binding and loosing, says Joseph Mead. That which God delegated to the church and to Peter, he says, these are mine. These are my horns to rule. You might say the keys of the kingdoms of men and the kingdom of God as they feign to have both keys. As my father sent me, so I send you, Jesus says. And here this lamb has these two horns. Isn't he meek? Isn't he doing the Lord's business? But how does he speak? What are his words? What are his doctrines? Does he sound like the Lamb of God who speaks to us in his word? He spake as a dragon, the doctrine of devils, with subtlety and craft as the old serpent, calling down the vengeance of God, the great anathema, if you believe this book and this book only. If you say there is one mediator and only one mediator, you're going to hell. If you say that you are justified solely by trusting in Christ's righteousness, anathema. That's what he says. The words of a dragon. And notice he exercises all the powers of the first beast. All of this beast worship will now come to him. He will have great wonders. Paul says, powers, signs, and lying wonders, all deceivableness of unrighteousness. This is what he's talking about. The same thing. And note, as Elijah called fire to come down from heaven, what will he do? He will do the same. He will have prophetic gifts. He will be able to do things that only Elijah and others like him could do. But will he confirm the truth? No. He will confirm his dragon's lies. He will deceive them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles. Oh, the Virgin of Guadalupe. We had a vision of the Holy Virgin and we saw the statue talk to us and she cried and tears came down. Oh, how can that not be glorifying to God to worship at that massive graven image? It must please God. Deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. If you ever have a chance to read some of the fables of the Middle Ages about their popes and saints, you will see what it's talking about. It's obviously one of two things. Full-blown lies or demons. One of the two, or both. Maybe they're lying and demons actually did certain things. But they're telling people, don't listen to Christ as your king. Don't listen to scripture. Listen to the beast. Listen to his image. Bow and worship. And if you do not bow, if you do not recognize the power to give life unto the image of the beast, you must die. You must be put to death. You may read Fox's Book of Martyrs for the record of this. Any good history of the Spanish Inquisition will confirm this. If you don't worship the graven images, if you don't bow before Baal Peor, what's going to happen to you? You're dead. They would send armies in to the valleys of the Piedmont to slay and kill and destroy the saints of the living God. 
As ancient Babylon said, bow before the image or what? You'll be thrown in a fiery furnace. So they say the same. New Babylon, old Babylon. You must receive a mark in your right hand or in your foreheads. Now God requires this, does he not? He says, you're to have a mark to remind you of my law. Where? On your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. On your forehead, on your hand. Why? Because you are my sovereign Lord. When I act, when I think and see, I do it under your authority. What does the beast say? You operate under my authority, not his. My authority. You submit to me, my laws, my rules, my canons, not scripture. That's what he says. This is the power of the beast. If you don't receive the mark, you cannot buy, sell, or trade. Here is wisdom, he says. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. If we don't know what this wisdom is, we will not shun the beast he's talking about. He's going to tell us. Here's the mark. Here's the character. Here's the conduct. Here's the number. It's the number of a man. He's not talking about a physical beast. He's not talking about some ethereal who knows what. It is a man, this beast is. And his number identifies him as such. This fallen star, this beast, this man. His number is 603 score and 6. Or in Greek, it is three letters. The key, representing the 600. The exe, representing the 60. And the sigma, representing the 6. We'll also see this in chapter 15, verse 2. It is the number of the beast's name. It is not a marker of time. Rather, it is a marker of a person. Now, Irenaeus, in his book Against Heresies, who was a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, he said concerning this, that history would unfold and confirm the meaning of this with precision, but he guessed this. Latinos, the Latins, the Romans, in other words. Latinos, in the Greek language, numerically equals 666. He posed this as one possible solution. The successor then of the pagan Roman emperor Latinos, the Western or Latin peoples, they, he says, they are the beast. Whether he is right or whether he is wrong on the numerical value, he is certainly correct on the doctrine of it. And thus far the exposition of Revelation chapter 13.